If you'd like to um, grab your Bibles or whatever you're using there, we're going to be uh, turning to chapter 28. We finish up in Acts today. We, we got there and uh, we're starting from verse 11 uh, today too. So if you'd like to grab hold of your Bibles, we'll be starting from uh, verse 11. Here we go. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived in Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. Then we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome." And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judah about you, from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing with each other, with themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Morning, church. How are we? Oh, good. Everyone's awake. It's great. Hey, uh, welcome to Canterbury Gardens once again. If you're visiting, it's a great privilege to have you here with us. Uh, We are at the tail end of the book of Acts. Uh, I was looking back on our preaching series and I was looking and seeing, um, you know, when we started and the topics and so on. We started this series in February. Uh, And now some of you are thinking, 
February. My goodness, we're just finishing now. Um, maybe you're glad that we're done <laughs> with Acts. Uh, I know for us, and for, particularly for those of us who've been going through this series and preaching through it, it's been a joy. What's been a joy has been uh, actually also uh, hearing the stories, hearing the stories of some of you sharing about how God has been stirring in your heart to be witnesses for him, to declare Jesus in your workplace, at home, at school, even within your own families. It's been a joy to hear the stories of the relentless love that God's been staring in you to go and declare that. I mean, <clears throat> this morning, I've got to be honest with you, just as we've had a lot of honesty going on, so I'll just join with that. Uh, this morning, we're actually going to talk about something, particularly for those of us who've grown up in the church, and particularly for those of us who hear this and they believe it, it's going to sound very familiar. You would have actually heard it all before. Maybe even sang songs about this. But as we go through this passage, my heart and prayer is that we will hear what God has to say through his word and we will actually reflect on the simple truth, but a powerful, life-changing truth. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. And that sounds like a wonderful Sunday school answer, doesn't it? We've heard that before. We know that already. It's very familiar. So I'm going to pray for me and, and for us that God would speak, continue to speak to us through his word. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the wonderful time as we've been singing and being reminded of the gospel, reminded of these truths. We pray now as we continue this time of worship. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to all of us, not just individually, but as a church community. Lord, once again, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may all the glory go to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. We started in Acts 1, and in Acts 1, Jesus says to his apostles, his disciples, and he proclaims this prophetic word to them. He says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen that truth and that uh, wonderful words that Jesus said unfolding. Throughout the whole book of Acts, the gospel is spreading, the kingdom of God is growing, and through that, Jesus is constantly and continuously leading his mission, and it's shown through his spirit. Now, it's very clear as we reflect on Acts, if you think about Acts, the road wasn't always easy. I mean, there were people martyred for this gospel. I mean, there were leaders who had disagreements, but despite of their disagreements, the church continues to grow. There were people who were beaten and they were ultimately chased out of town because of this message of the gospel. Yet, these band of followers, these band of disciples of these apostles continue to go on this mission to fulfill what Jesus said. They continue to spread and the kingdom grows and so the gospel spreads. And throughout that known land, the gospel continues to grow and continue to multiply. And we were introduced to a guy called Paul, the Apostle Paul. He becomes one of the main leaders in the church. He's written a lot of the New Testament that's in front of us. And he actually comes towards the tail end of most of Acts is revolved around his ministry or his missionary stories. 
And we are told as well to Paul, he knew where he was heading. He knew what his mission was. I don't know if you remember in Acts 19, straight after the big crazy riot that happens, this is what it says. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Acacia, go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. For him, at that time, the ends of the earth was Rome. That was the goal. And again in Acts 23, he says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for you have been testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify also in Rome. Paul was going to get to Rome. He wasn't going to get there. He knew that it was going to happen. He knew that, and we see that constantly throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is driving. He's leading. At times he's saying, no, not that direction. You've got to go this way. And then the road to Rome wasn't an easy road. It wasn't the clearest way. At times you read the story, and if particularly the guy who's reading the story, most probably Theophilus, either he's reading it or he's, uh, he's been hearing it and he's thinking, how is this going to happen? How is this story going to end? But throughout it, we have this wonderful picture of God constantly in control, constantly directing and leading. And he's encouraging his leaders, his apostles, to, and he's empowering them for this mission to ultimately bring to fruition, for those guys at that time anyway, to the ends of the earth. To them, Rome was the center. That's where we need to end. That's the ends of the earth. That was their aim. But we know that Rome is not the ends of the earth. We're in Australia. Maybe New Zealand is the end of the earth or other places. So I have to say that. And I just looked at Nathan. I had to just throw that in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, but we arrived, right? We've arrived. Last week, Paul really uh, unpacked for us what was going on. He's heading towards Rome. He's a prisoner. I mean, we finally arrive after the shipwreck, after a viper biting him. We meet a man who's had some short stops, and he's finally arrived to his destination. And he's come. He's come as a prisoner, as in chains. And in many ways, outwardly, it looks like it's actually quite hopeless. How is this going to end? How is this story going to end? But see, this is what I love about God. (laughs) This is what I love about our Savior, that he arrives in Rome. And you see in verses 14 to 15, God's loving care of a man who's been on a long journey. He sees, he meets some brothers, uh, Christians who know Christ, who know the gospel. And in verse 15 says, And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Ephesus and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Now, just look, I just want to make a simple note here. I don't know what your view of Jesus is. Maybe you're sitting thinking, well, Jesus, yes, he died on a cross on the third day, risen, now he just sits on the throne and he's sort of just hanging out there till the end. Now, see, what we have is a saviour who's quite personally involved in everyone's life. And we have this picture of a saviour who so cares for his apostle that he uses the other servants, the community, the Christian community there to encourage this man. This man might be needing it, I don't know. But either way, right there, Paul is encouraged of God's good grace shown to him through the fellow believers. And God uses them to encourage him, to bring courage, to the language to say he's fast and he's ready for the next season. Well, what is that season? 
and you said and you heard what John read. The season of being under house arrest, not under the Roman government's expense, but his own expense for the next two years. Not being able to go anywhere. But the story doesn't end there, which I love. And you see this in verse 30 as, that, as, as unpacked. Now, what Paul does, as soon as he arrives there, he's arrived, he's arrived in Jerusalem, he knows he's there for a purpose. In verse 30, uh, and often you see this in, in Paul's life. He first goes to the Jews, and he's engaging with the Gentiles. And in this moment, he was engaged with the Jewish leadership of that, of that area in Rome. And he states his case, why he's arrived, why he's there in chains. He says in verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Now, if you can just mentally picture, there's this man standing there, shipwrecked. He's a bit tired, maybe, I don't know, and, and he possibly might be in chains, uh, literally. He's standing there, but he's saying he's there. He actually does not look like he's got much hope, but he says he does. I mean, who's this hope for a man in chains? He's saying, listen, guys, I, I was, I've been sent to prison. And look, the other Jewish leaders, they actually wanted to kill me. There was a death penalty, but they couldn't find anything against me. Um, but they wanted to not set me free. There was this argument. So I appealed to Caesar. I wanted to use my citizenship as a Roman. I have that title to do that. But there's a compelling reason that it's constantly and continuously driving this man. And he understands there's only one reason he's actually in chains. There's only one reason, the hope of Israel. He, he wants to unpack with him. He wants to, if you want to use modern language, he wants to say, look, I want to get into a dialogue with you. I want to get into a conversation with you about this only hope for our nation, Israel. I mean, here's this man standing there in chains and talking about hope would have been the most interesting sight to stand there as a Jewish leader. You're about to tell me about the hope of Israel. You don't look like you've got much hope. I don't know if you've ever picked this throughout the series, but if you've been following through the book of Acts, there's this constant reminder that there's only one hope, either for a nation or for an individual. Jesus. Jesus. Uh, every year, the grand final at the AFL, when Hawks have been there three years in a row. Uh, but every year, there's this song, right? Usually there's the Advanced Australia Fair or some sort of anthem that comes on, but there's always this one guy. They always ask him to play. They always ask his band to play. I don't know if you know the song. It's called The Holy Grail. Have you heard the terms? You know the words? I woke up this morning this, from the strangest dream. Then he continues on the road to the Holy Grail. That guy is only known for that song, I think. That's the only song he's asked to play. He's the Hunters of Color. He has a full band. If you know, they actually have quite a few songs besides that one. But that's all he's known for. I mean, friends, as followers of Jesus, this is the reality. This is the truth. That you and I have only one hope. We have only one message that Jesus is our only hope. But sometimes that message gets dull in our own lives. I mean, because the reality is that we are that one band song. We only, have, we only have one song as a band. That's the only song we sing. We only just sing about Jesus. It sounds very cliche. It just sounds like information. Yeah, I know that. 
But see, this is what we're known for. But whether we realize it or not, whether we mean to or sometimes without even meaning, our hope actually shifts to something else or someone else. It constantly happens. I mean, here is a Jewish leadership team. They are waiting for the political leader, this Messiah they've been waiting for ages, who would deliver them from this Roman Empire. In all accounts of Jesus, it was, they didn't, he didn't look like a political leader at all. But here you have this group waiting for that. And just like them, I think just like these Jewish leaders, you and I can put our hope in other things. I mean, we might even put our hope in a particular political party winning a particular election. I mean, we may even put our hope in the religious freedom that we have in Australia, and that's a good thing. But in some sense, we put our hope in hoping that's the answer to it all. We may even put our, our hope in the political system that we have in front of us, a particular prime minister. Or if you want to go from external to something a bit more internal, we may even put our own hope in our own self-righteousness, thinking that all the things that I do somehow is what makes me right. Then you go a little bit further and make it a bit more personal. I don't know about you, we may even put our hope in the job that we have. And they ask, they come and call us into the office and say, this is your last day. They may even, uh, at that moment, we may put our hope in our family and then all of a sudden it's all broken apart for some uh, divisive thing that happens. We may put our hope in our final security, uh, security, financial security, our stocks, all those things, and then the financial crisis comes. We may even put our hope in our health. And then the doctor says, I've got some bad news. We, in many ways, put our hope in a lot of things. And those things are life things, but sometimes we may even move. Like, here's these Jewish leaders. They understand Scripture. They know what they're talking about. They understand their theological views. And sometimes we may even put our hope in our theological convictions. It's good to have theological convictions, but we put our whole hope in it. Now, friends, the, the language of hope here is not kind of like a, you know, I'll just sort of wishful kind of thinking. I mean, the day when I held my beautiful firstborn son, I held him and I looked at him and I, I had all these thoughts running through my head. One of the thoughts was, you know, as you look at me, you're thinking, Shabu is a very athletic looking guy. And I thought to myself, I hope one day my son will become the full forward for the Hawthorne Football Club. Now, don't get me wrong, I love my son, I want him to achieve lots of things. I don't think that's going to happen. I love him. I do. And I want to try to encourage him to do those things, but I don't know. I mean, look at me. I mean, just from genes. I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> but friends, this is not kind of a wishful thinking, okay? Paul's not talking that kind of a hope. What he's saying is this is 100% guaranteed. I'm 100% sure this is, this is fast. This is 100% guaranteed. You can back me. You can back this hope. Here we have a man who is in chains, Yet he has hope. And in this passage, when we read this, our temptation might be to go, oh man, yep, that's, that's me, that's Paul, that's what we want to be like. But in many ways, we know in our stirrings, we may be more like the Jewish leaders. And in the light of that, we, particularly for those of us who may call ourselves followers of Jesus, we need to ask that question, what is our hope in? What is our sure certainty in? What is it? Is it something or someone? See, if it is in Jesus, 
And that's a daily thing that we might have to fight for. If it is in Jesus, the reality is it's not just something we keep to ourselves. It's actually reflected in the way that we live. And in a simple way, you can actually see this in this passage. Here's a man, comes to Rome. He knows he's meant to be there. God has driven that. He's in chains and he's talking about hope. And it's displayed in his life, even in that moment. Paul wants to engage with these leaders. He wants to talk about this hope. But his life shows he wants to unpack this truth, not in arrogance, not in pride. Even to the point, the, the passage even says in the text, if you, I don't know if you saw that, in his own expense, he shows hospitality to people who put him in prison. That is displaying the hope that he has that shapes his life. See, Paul knows that he's come here for that purpose, to talk about this hope of Israel. And so he engages with them. He starts to talk to them about it, and the leaders respond. He say, they, they're like saying to him, if you want to use modern language, they say to him, hey, Paul, listen, buddy, we haven't got any emails about you. Uh, we've uh, not got any SMSs about you. We've checked your linked profile, your professional profile, and seen the recommendation. We haven't seen anything that speaks specifically against you. Uh, we haven't had any particular endorsement from headquarters about you either in Jerusalem. Uh, we haven't seen any blogs written about you. Uh, we haven't seen any Facebook statuses about you either. But look, because of those things, we're not going to push you. We actually want to listen. We want to engage with you on these things. We want to hear your views. Because we have heard of something else, though. We've heard about this group. They're called the Way, this religious group, this religious sect. So we've seen those emails. We've got those emails. We've seen the page that someone has started to speak against them on Facebook. But we want to hear what this is all about. Because we've heard that it's no good. So let's set up a meeting. Let's set up a meeting and let's go into this. And, and the language there is they're quite active about it. They, they want to actually engage with Paul on this. So they set aside a time and they want to meet. And in some sense, it's like a one-day conference that Paul has. And these leaders come. But this idea of why he's doing this is one purpose. And you see that in verse 23 of chapter 28. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Whole day he's engaging with them. You might be wondering, sometimes our sermons are long, but being there, visiting in that house, engaging with the truth, and Paul is expounding, he's unpacking for them. What Paul is actually doing for the whole day, he's unpacking things that they understand, they know. He wants to actually show to them, hey, listen, guys, you're looking for a political kingdom in where God comes and Jesus comes, uh, this Messiah who comes, and he's going to reign, he's going to kick out the Romans or whatever our occupying armies at the time, but uh, I want you to tell you this beyond that. And he actually uses scripture with these guys, because they, un- they know the scriptures that he's using. He knows their language. I mean, these are leaders. These are not just Jewish people, but Jewish leaders. So many of them understand the teachings of Moses. They understand the teaching of the prophets. And he's saying to these guys, listen, the reason why I'm in this chains right now, the reason why I'm here, I want to tell you about the hope. I want to tell you that the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. 
The Messiah that you've been waiting for, the Messiah that you've been reading about, the Messiah has come. And this Messiah, because he has come, he is now ushering in the realities of the new kingdom. Because this Messiah is no longer dead, he's actually risen. He's seated on the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning and directing his purposes for his glory. And he says to them, this is the stuff that you know. You know about Isaiah, you know about the prophets, you know about Moses. These are stories that grow. You've memorized the law. And I want you to know all those things are pointing to this Messiah, to this person I'm telling you about. His name is Jesus. He's saying, listen, Jesus is the one who's fulfilled the law perfectly, the one that you can't do properly. You can't fulfill it. Jesus is the one who Moses was speaking of, this this, uh, prophet that was going to come. This is the one I'm telling you. This is the hope. This is the Jesus. And all the prophets talked about a Messiah coming. Well, he has come. His name is Jesus. And you have these two responses in verse 24. Now, for those of us in ministry particularly, we love Acts, the early chapters of Acts, because we just see the expansion and the amount of numbers of people responding to the gospel. And we go, yes, that's what it should be like. It'd be great. But I think when I read these passages like this, it reminds me sometimes it's not always like that. And here you have a different response. And particularly, and throughout Acts, you see this constantly, where the Jewish response is quite different from the Gentiles. They keep on responding. And we'll explain the reason why. Paul unpacks that for us later. But what we see here are two responses. The first one is of belief. These leaders have been hearing Paul's been using scripture, they understand. They're they're expounding and they respond and they see. They see. Oh man, they see. They see the hope that Paul is talking about and they believe. Then there are others who also respond and they don't want a bar of it. To the point that they actually disagree with one another as Jewish leaders. There's a reason why Paul says some very powerful words to them, would have been quite humbling. Paul uses a prophet that they're so familiar with. They would have read the stories, memorized it, they know, maybe they even were told it when they were young. And what Paul says to them is, listen, they've actually missed it. They've missed the Messiah. I mean, telling to a group of leaders who've been waiting for the Messiah, then being told you missed it, That would have been humbling words to hear. And why have they missed it? Why have they missed this hope that Paul is in chains for? Well, Paul says in Acts 28, in verse 25, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, and Paul quotes, um, you, can, you can see that in your Bible, you'll see the quotation, there's a little letter or a number that points to what book of the Bible you can look back to or chapter in Isaiah. He's reading it from Isaiah chapter 6, and he says, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Over the years they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Paul is saying to these guys, listen, those forefathers, those, right now, just like those forefathers before you, those forefathers who do not listen to the prophet Isaiah and his words and turn, just like those days, um, you are being exactly like them. 
You have not listened. You have not heard. The Messiah came, but you never understood. I mean, you, you, you saw and you sort of perceived, but you never understood. Why? Paul points to their heart. He points to their heart. He gets to their heart and says, because of what's going on in your heart. What he's saying to them, this idea of dull, is saying your hearts have got insensitive to the point that your ears don't want to hear, your eyes don't want to see, and you close it all off. What you're ultimately doing in your hearts, you're closing off the voice of God. It's a picture of no thanks, this is not the way it's meant to go. And God's response is judgment. And he says, all right, well, that's going to be your response. I will close your eyes, I will close your ears, because you've closed your hearts. And what Paul is doing in that moment is like, guys, listen, leaders, Jewish leaders, I wish you weren't like your forefathers. I wish you were not dull in your hearts. Because if you weren't, God would heal you. But yet you have rejected this message of hope. Friends, the Jewish leaders, we can look at and go, yes, silly guys, I can't believe they did that. But that's the story of mankind. That's all our story. I mean, you read throughout the Bible story, that's a constant picture. This constant picture of people turning their hearts dull towards this truth of God the Father who's constantly pursuing His people, who keep on rejecting Him. And so what He does? He sends His wonderful, true, glorious hope, Jesus. This one who will fulfill the law perfectly. This one who would be the greater prophet, the one the prophets were calling out for and talking about. This one who the prophet spoke. But this one, this Savior, this Jesus, was never dull to the Father's voice. He said, my will is to do the Father's will. Constantly and continuously in his ministry here on this earth, he was never dull to the Father's voice. And that's why he's the perfect Savior. And you read this in the Gospel of Luke, you, you, the same guy who wrote Acts pens these things and you constantly see this battle between the Jewish leaders and the Messiah, Jewish leaders and the Messiah. I mean, there's all God involved in this to lead him to the cross. And right here in front of these Jewish leaders, and I love God's gracious irony in this, God uses another Jewish leader who's found hope to be his mouthpiece. A former Jewish leader. Not just a former Jewish leader, a passionate Jewish leader. In a letter that he writes to a church called Philippi, he, he says, this is what Paul says himself, Though I myself have such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to a seal persecuting the church, as to righteousness under the law, faultless. Paul's hope was his heritage, his theology, his thinking as a Jew, that he thought, that's who I am. That's my hope. And on the road to Damascus, we read, he encounters the true hope of Israel, the Messiah, the one that he's been persecuting, comes face to face. And since then, his life is sold out. For that one purpose, to make Jesus known, to show that this hope of Israel has now become the hope for all the nations. And God uses him to become this agent 
to bring this judgment voice to those Jewish leaders. He says, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will listen, because you have not listened. It's a picture of just judgment from the Lord to a group of leaders who have rejected the Messiah. Friends, it's easy for us to look at that and go, oh, those Jewish leaders. But the question is, are we listening? Am I listening? See, this, this man, Paul, was so captivated by the hope of the gospel and being displayed and shown in his life and living out the kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ was the center. It shaped everything that he did. And that question is even the same for you and I. And you might be even sitting here and going, well, that's great for those of you who are Christians, but what about me? I don't really believe this stuff. Whether you realize it or not, if you don't believe in Jesus, guess what? You're hoping something else or somebody else. It might be your job security. It might be your family. It could be many other things. But the reality is in your heart of hearts, you're actually not satisfied. Your heart is not satisfied. That's why you're always looking for the next big thing. You maybe even be anxious about these things because your hope was not, your heart was not designed for that kind of hope. I mean, you've got to ask the question, what would make a man to give up this heritage that he has to follow the Messiah so um, powerfully and empowered by the Spirit to the point that he would be willing to be shipwrecked, willing to be bitten by a snake, willing to be in chains for all this person, eventually would lead to his death. Because this man had found what true hope is about, the hope that his soul was always hoped for. And if you are someone who doesn't know Jesus, you were designed to find your only hope in him. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if that is you... Be like the Jewish leaders. Come and talk to us. Talk to the friend who brought you today. Maybe talk to one of us pastors. Come and ask the questions. Engage with us to find out if this is true or not. And our prayer is that the church will come face to face with this king who is the only true hope. And then for those of us who are sitting here who've been in the Christian faith for a while, who believes this, and we're like, okay, this is just one of those sermons about Jesus being the hope. Okay, what's the practical stuff on this? You know, how's this going to help me on Monday? And we may even sit here and think, well, those Jewish leaders, I can't believe they, those guys. Friends, if we really sit and pause, the temptation always in every day of our lives there are many truths will designed to drown out this truth, this hope, constantly and continuously. And every day, you and I can miss it. We can miss it. How can we miss it? When we become dull in our hearts to the truth of the gospel. See, in, in, in life of Paul, you see that in Acts, and you, you read his letters in the New Testament. He's constantly reminding himself about the gospel. He's constantly preaching to himself, then he's preaching to the other guys and leaders that he's writing to. And it's displayed in the way that he lives, showing hospitality, loving others. I mean, from shipwrecks to house arrest, he's constantly knowing that his only hope is this king of Israel who's now become the king and the hope for all the nations. See, to Paul, the hope of Jesus didn't just become some sort of theological information that he knows. 
Neither did it become some sort of um, personal thing that he keeps to himself until he gets to heaven. Neither did this hope all of a sudden just become an arrogant baseball bat that he uses to knock around anyone who disagrees with him. But his whole life was in full submission to his saviour. And his life was shaped by this. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he constantly hoped in his Savior, this Jesus. And at this point, as, men, uh, as a leader, as a pastor, as at this point I say to you, now go and do the same thing this week. Go on, do it. Why aren't you doing it? And some of us might be sitting here, and particularly for those of us who are doers, you're like, yes, all right, Monday, I'm going into work, put on my uh, Christian war paint, let's do this. My hope is Jesus, my hope is Jesus. You might listen to a song about hope on the way to work. Some of us are sitting here and thinking, well, should we wear the practical steps on this? Give me seven steps, because apparently that's how you end a sermon. Seven steps to a perfect life. Some of us might be sitting here and thinking, oh, no, here we go. Yeah, I suck. I've stuffed up again. Well, then there are of us who might be sadly sitting here smuggling and thinking, I hope X is listening to this. I hope they get this. Friends, don't get me wrong. The Apostle Paul is a pretty dynamic leader. Don't get me wrong, he is. But throughout his life and throughout his writings, you see he didn't count himself as anything. <laughs> but not only that, you see this and you go, well, he's a guy who wrote a good chunk of the Bible. I mean, you know, if you hear me say, I'm going to write a good chunk of the Bible, I hope you fire me. But see, Paul's life had this one purpose. See, his existence... He knew now he had found this hope and he was sold out to talk about it. And you see this in Acts 20. It says, I only know this. In every town, after town, the Holy Spirit warns me that, uh, that chains and afflictions wait me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. If only I may finish my course and complete the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry of testifying the good news of God's grace. I can just picture him saying that to himself every day. This is why I'm here. This is why I exist. His motivation was the call that Jesus had laid on his life. The same Savior who now had given him hope. He knew in his heart of hearts and he believed it. That this hope of Israel, his own people, his own nation has now not only become the hope of Israel, had become the hope for all of the world. And what drove him though? was not just him just gritting himself up every day. What drove him was he kept his eyes focused on his glorious Savior. Not the one just hanging on the cross, but the one who's seated on the right hand of the Father. This one who now he submitted his life to. See, Jesus, he knew, was the perfect one who submitted to the Father's will to the point of death. He knew that Jesus is the one who not only proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand, but lived it out. Perfectly. He also knew that this Jesus is the one who brought this good news through the word and his life, this good news of grace. Paul knew that there was only one person who was the author and perfecter of his faith. The same author who is the author and perfecter of everyone who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus is the hope. 
But that hope is not to keep to ourselves, but now the hope now is driven out through the Holy Spirit and enables us to live a life for his purpose. And that's what was driving Paul. See, for Paul, Jesus was constantly this focus on him all the time. Jesus was the constant one that he focused on. And you see that. You read his letters. He always starts with this idea of the gospel of grace. He talks about grace to you and peace to you. And he's writing to Christians. They're constantly being reminded of this. It wasn't just his own. It was everyone's. He passed it around. He wanted to be reminded. He constantly lived this out. And the question for you and I, even today, is Jesus still your hope? Is Jesus still my hope? I mean, in Christian ministry, sometimes you go to conferences. And at conferences are great. They're encouraging and so on. But sometimes you can actually look at all these leaders are talking about here are the 12 things that we did at our church to reach uh, this particular group of people and this is what's happened and these are 15 steps and this is what you can do and all the strategic stuff, which is helpful to wrestle and we should think through that. But there's times where I said, I've got to be honest with you, I said, oh yeah, okay. So I'll take this back to Canterbury Gardens and I'll get all the leaders together, we'll put it in a room, I'll start the whiteboard, and I'll draw pictures and stuff and I'll spell words wrong and I'll say to them, this is how we do, here are the five steps to achieve this. As a leader, I can fall into that trap too myself. There's nothing wrong in thinking through those things, but sometimes our hope can be shifted to something else. And I mean, I don't know about you, but Monday to Saturday, there's these constant noises, constantly trying to dry out and, and force my heart to, to other things. Does that happen to you? Well, your heart is constantly being drawn to shift your gaze away from the only one who brings hope, both for yourself but also the people that God has placed in front of you. Or maybe you read these passages and you hear it and go, oh, yeah, I know this. I know what the answer is. Yeah, Jesus got it. Oh, friends, don't let that become dull. Don't ever let that become dull. Let's pray that Jesus and this truth of him being the only hope would never become dull. If you're a follower of Jesus, look to your Savior again who says, you can't do it, I've done it, in light of that I will empower you to do it through my spirit, to live out this truth, to go and tell the people, to go and tell them that I am the only hope that they will find. And that's what his spirit does for us each day as we keep on leaning into him. And so this, as we wrap up this time, as the music team comes up, here's some questions for you to consider as you head into this week. Maybe even as the last song plays, maybe ask this question. Who is your hope still in? Has anyone or anything replaced it? If so, look to him. Jesus is our only hope. Seek his forgiveness. He's a good and gracious saviour. Secondly, maybe this week as you sit down and think through these things, maybe uh, think through and go, God, and pray that your hearts and my hearts will never become dull to this wonder of Jesus. And thirdly, maybe you're sitting here and going, yeah, I get it, Jesus is the holy hope. Well, let me encourage you to continue just as the Apostle Paul. Welcome all those that come towards you, those who don't know Jesus, so you can continue to declare to them, to be a witness to them about this reality of Christ, the risen one, and his kingdom. And do it all with boldness and hindrance. Friends, Jesus is the only hope. Not only is he the only hope of Israel, he's the hope for all the world. 
And let's pray that we will never forget that and just become information to us. And so in light of that, may we live as witnesses for him, wherever he places us, for this purpose, to proclaim this hope, this hope who has become the hope of all nations. And church, if you call Canterbury Gardens home, I pray that we'll never, ever, ever tire of this truth. Because temptations will come. Temptations will come to be caught up in pragmatic things. But if we have Jesus, our only hope, that drives our life and doctrine, what a wonderful Savior we have who's given us much hope. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're our risen Lord that you rule and reign. We thank you now through your spirit. You've empowered us to not only keep this truth to ourselves, to now proclaim these truths, both in our words and our life, and to, to live this out. Empower us. But we pray and ask for each of us here that we will never grow dull to this truth. And in light of that, enable us to live in such a way this week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.